And I like to say, like, I'm anxiously optimistic. And I think that, like, people responded to them because, like, they have that hope, too. And they have that want, that, like, desire to feel that, like, sparkly, tingly, spring, new crush feeling. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 102 of the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Mason, and today I am joined by the brilliant Ariana Margulies, who you may know her as an illustrator and artist on Instagram and TikTok. I got the chance to speak with her and learn more about sort of what led to these viral doodles um, and this amazing page, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen. Um, was really most refreshed by her take on anxiety and and sort of learning to live with it and sort of embrace it as as part of who she is and, and kind of how she operates not only from living in New York City but then the way to see it sort of manifest its way into these doodles um, and I always get so inspired by people who have really been able to build a career and uh, a creative career at that really through their mental health experiences um, and, and through these challenges of like really turning obstacles into opportunities um, and really turning like personal pain um, into a passion and, and into a business and ultimately into a livelihood. Uh, so it was really, really great to meet Ariana and talk. Um, and yeah, hope you guys enjoy this episode and that you're having a great day. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Enjoy the show with Ariana. How long have you been in uh, New York for? I have been in New York now probably 10 years. I did a stint in LA. Yeah. Um, but I always like to say, I mean, as a kind of theme of part of our podcast, there wasn't enough anxiety in LA to keep me going, so I had to move back. You need you need the anxiety to survive? I do. I think it's like what keeps me going and what keeps me working. What do you think about it is, is so like magnetic and like motivational for you in that way? I think it's always pushing me to work harder and you're always kind of looking to at someone else who's doing something faster and better and different and it's kind of this like giant form of rat race competition Mm. but in a great way it's been an enabler anxiety for me has been like an enabler but also a force that stops me sometimes and gets in my way but ultimately I think I need it and that's why like I think New York City has been good for me because of the pace yeah I think you know there's obviously uh, we're all going to experience anxiety, right? It's like a normal part of life. So it's not something that you can just like evade. I, I do think that it's interesting to hear you talk about it because there is like a healthy amount of it of like, you know, I, I like to think of anxiety as like the result of us like resisting our feelings. And I think anytime that there's like uncomfort or a new territory or like any of these things that sort of bring anxiety, they're usually like, you know, hard but healthy and like growth oriented things that I think if we actually like stick with them and like follow the sound of their voice that we actually kind of come out stronger and and bigger on the other side but I've never really heard someone like really uh like manifested in in into their lives like that I think that's like a super cool way to think about it yes sometimes I think I don't have I wouldn't I'd be out of a job if I didn't if I wasn't so anxious (laughs) yeah I think it helps inspire me it helps push me and but then at the same time, sometimes it helps me not be able to sleep. 
Yeah. And uh, where did that sort of like anxiety journey or, or you being cognizant of your own mental health start for you? I think it started with my sleep problems. I could tell like the next day, I'd, if you know, I didn't sleep well, I'd be mentally like more down on myself, mentally more frustrated when I couldn't perform as well. You know, I couldn't even work out. And then I would feel worse. about. it was kind of like this cyclical, like everything's fun into one of the other things kind of nature. And then I would eat more, then I would drink more. And then it kind of all took a turn. And so I think that's when I started realizing, okay, like this is something I need to kind of wrangle and figure out. I mean, no one I think figures it out completely. I mean, I, I would love to hear of someone who has. Um, I certainly haven't, but I think, you know, one of my first mental health experiences, like when I think about it was like looking back and remembering like when I got the tools to kind of handle some of, to handle some of it a bit better. And my first time going to therapy. Mm. How old uh, were you uh, when you had that experience? So I was probably 26. Six. and I remember going in and it's and I remember I was I went through like a hotline like a, like I forget what it's called like let's talk or something and I you know was matched up with um I wanted a man I wanted to speak to a man which is interesting and I was excited but I thought someone was going to basically kind of I always imagined therapy as someone just like telling you what to do, like giving you advice and solving all your problems for you. Like that's what you're paying for, right? Like, and then when I got there, it was so different. And I felt like kind of like taken aback, like and challenged. I remember being like, okay, so telling him something like a situation that happened, I'd be like, well, what would you do? And he's like, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but what do you, and then he would ask me a question about how I was feeling or ask me a question about a reaction I had. And it forced me to kind of like go more inward and think a bit more. And one of the best tools I still think about every day is take every situation to its fullest or final potential outcome. Cause I'd be like, okay, well, what if I don't get this job? And he'd be like, okay, well, what if you don't? I'd be like, well, then I wouldn't have the money to pay this bill, whatever. And he'd be like, okay. And then what happened? And then I'd be homeless. Like I would take everything and then see kind of how crazy my thought process was. Yeah. Which I kind of, I still love and I use it every day. <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing exercise. Um, I know you said you first got into therapy at, at 26 or 27. I'm curious, like your, your childhood prior to that. Um, do you feel like you were just, you know, sort of a happy go lucky kid and like, weren't really experiencing any of these symptoms or, or do you think maybe that like you wish you might've, started therapy earlier or like what was your mental health experience before uh, working with a professional? I think that I come from a family of medicine. So it's interesting that I had never tried it, but it just wasn't something we really even discussed. Like, I think I never even, I grew up in Michigan and in a small town and I don't think anyone I know went to therapy. I don't think I even really heard of people going to therapy until I moved to New York or LA. I mean, I've, I'd heard of like couples therapy, like when people were getting divorced or something, but 
But other than that, that's really the only way I saw it or knew it. Love, I, I come from a family too of like, and in the best way, but like tough love. It's kind of like, you'll be fine. You'll be good. Like, come on, let's look at the positive side. And while I think that turned me into how I was, it kind of was just like, I think like not even an option, like I thought about or knew about, but like, yeah, I didn't see anyone really around me doing it. Friends, peers, anyone. Yeah. My, uh, my family's actually from uh, Michigan too. I think you grew up with, uh, with my cousins, the Orleys. Oh my gosh. Matt Orley was my high school boyfriend. <laughs> that's what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. So they're, uh, their mom, their mom, uh, Marcy and, and my mom are uh, first cousins. Wow. And my yeah. dad and Rob were college roommates. No way. Yeah. Well, wow, it's amazing. Yeah. I was just out there uh, last week for, uh, for Passover. I got to see everyone. It was super. Oh, high. I saw that the Seder thing Matt posted about yeah. the film. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very um, cool. Anyways, that experience that you share growing up, I think is definitely super common especially with how a lot of our parents generation really thought about mental health and talked about mental health was like you know it's just like it'll all be okay just toughen up get back out there sort of attitude and 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 I feel like you know that that's obviously really built up like mental health have this stigma where then like we were growing up and it was sort of just like well mental health is just if you're you know something's really wrong or you're getting a divorce like you said or if you're like clinically insane and like you have to go to like a mental institution or, or whatever it is. And, and, you know, I feel like now with, with conversations like this and like everything that we're trying to do at Mad Happy is really like working to break that stigma down. And I think, you know, with, with our generation, it's been amazing to see us like get in therapy. And as you get to these more coastal uh, cities, how much more common it is um, and people really like taking part in it. Um, for you, I know you mentioned like the lack of sleep and whatnot was was that really sort of what what drove you into the room for the first time or was there sort of like a rock bottom or like big life event that you faced that finally made you sort of like throw up your hands and and ask for help or like I would love to learn a little bit more about like how you got into therapy because I think for so many people like it, it's it's the getting started it's it's the fear of of making that call to a friend or or, or to going on that helpline um, can usually be the hardest part. Sure. I think the first time I went was um, a bad breakup. Um, And I think that's really what caused me to start not being able to sleep. And it sounds like such a high school crush thing, like, oh, he doesn't like me. I can't sleep. Like, but I really think I was so torn up about it. And it was kind of like one of my first, like, real heartbreaks was when I first first went into therapy because I kind of couldn't understand how it was affecting me so much and I couldn't understand I had always like in college my friends would make fun of me like they would call it like an RE lay down because I would just lay down and fall asleep like I had never been the one to have problems my entire life so people were really like so I was really thrown at how like my mental health was really affecting me physically and I like needed a solution. But I do remember the first time I went was kind of like a trial and I didn't really stick with it. And this what a really impactful time that I went back 
was when I had one of my most major mental health issues ever, I'd say, <laughs> and a very strange one. I'm on Instagram and I draw cartoons <laughs> and I uh, gained a following. And with that comes amazing, amazing pluses. And every now and then you throw in a weird minus. And I had, not even sure how she found me, a woman start, I don't know how to call it, I guess stalking me online and um, cyber cyberbullying me, sending emails to everyone I worked with, saying harmful things, calling my modeling agency, calling my book publishers. And it was one of those things that kind of starts as something little and then it starts to spiral and almost, I remember feeling insane because people either wouldn't believe me that this was happening or they'd be like, just ignore it. And it was just starting to like be a bug that kind of like buried itself into my brain. And the most bizarre thing was, I was like, I draw cartoons. Why is this person bullying me out of anyone on the internet? Like, I don't really show my picture that often. I don't really, you know, I'm pretty positive and self-deprecating. And come to find out, <laughs> it ended in me having to work with the FBI because she was also cyberbullying some very high-profile people. And she was very smart and getting to very uh, hard to get to places. And I just happened to be one of her victims. <laughs> it's a weird, I'm like, take that in. That's a very random weird story. <laughs> yeah, um, that is a very random weird story. I mean, what, uh, looking back on it, I guess, like what sort of like mental health lessons do you think that you learned from it? Or like, obviously I feel like being any sort of public persona or we all have social media profiles, obviously there's so much that's sort of like out of our control in terms of like what people can say or, or how they can follow our whereabouts or contact us and things like that. Like uh, looking back on it, you know, how did you sort of like build a support system around it, cope with it, um, learn from it, things like that? I think that was really when I dove headfirst into therapy. And also, you know, when I realized that talking about it, telling my, like telling my friends about it, you know, having a support system was really important. And also the reinforcement in my own mind, you know, to feel safe, to feel healthy, to feel good, like kind of telling myself over and over, but also, you know, learning that it's a real problem and also like something that maybe we should work on even younger because I thought about, okay, being cyberbullied as an adult, but like thinking about children at this age with the internet and with Instagram and with leaving comments and like how important really like all these restrictions and how, how important all those things really are. Um, and maybe even I didn't have the tools as an adult that I could have gotten at an earlier age. Um, reinforced to make me feel more I guess like I could put this just shut this out instead of letting it get to me yeah I think um you know it's like such a blessing in in my opinion whenever 
we become conscious of like our mental health in that way. And I think it's such a normal response of like the same thing as me is like, fuck, I wish I knew this when I was 12 years old or 13 years old. Like, oh my God, like every kid has to know this and, and whatnot. And then I feel like that's how we can sort of do our part by like having conversations like this and, and the work that you create, like the amazing work that you create and like what it illustrates is like, that's how it sort of has the ripple effect of like, all right, then when we have kids or have families or have friends who have kids and have families, like that's sort of like what we pass on. And then like generation by generation, that's how we sort of like teach and, and inform and raise awareness and like really break the stigma, um, which is, you know, hopefully what, what we're all doing this for. Yeah, exactly. Like you make mistakes so your kids don't make them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And where did, uh, where did art and, and illustration sort of come into play for you uh, throughout your life? So art has been an outlet for me always. I guess I, I've always doodled. I was also kind of one of those kids that didn't necessarily pay attention the entire time and was doodling instead. But I also used it as like an outlet. I worked strange hours. Many of like my first, one of my like most major jobs before I was drawing cartoons as I did window displays for Ralph Lauren. And I would work really strange hours and I would find that like kind of drawing was like this therapeutic release for me. And kind of even like drawing about what was going on in my life or I would play music and kind of like paint along to like the beats. And it was this weird kind of way of, even if I wasn't like necessarily going to therapy or talking about my feelings, like I was letting them out. And then I started, I remember showing them to some friends and kind of people thinking they were funny but like, oh, maybe you should like find, uh, like put them out into the universe, but, but not on your personal Instagram. Like make, make something, you know, that you can do anonymously. Did you go to, to art school or anything or have any sort of formal training or was it all just like self-taught in a way? It was all pretty much self-taught. I went to an art C school, I'd say, like where we would take like more art classes than most high school kids. And it was like an art high school and then we I was definitely took different art courses in college but I never had any like formal degree or anything like that I do look back it's interesting I think even looking at things from two years ago I'm like ew I want to delete that because like now it's like every year it's a repetition I just feel like I'm getting better and better and better and I'm like I wonder what it'll look like when I'm 70 if I get there (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I think of, like, progress, not perfection. Obviously, like, it it hopefully should be getting better, and I think it doesn't, like, diminish anything that we've done in the past. I definitely even look at, like, you know, collections that we've dropped with uh, with Matt Happy or, like, even to see the quality of a sweatshirt that was from three years ago and be like, oh, we would never make this today, you know? But I think we're all just sort of, like, doing the best with, like, what we have at the time. Um, When did, like, you know, you said you were working at at Ralph Lauren and and sort of painting a along to things that were going on in your life and and these illustrations of music, when did you really sort of like flesh out like your, your page and and your brand and, and these sort of like, you know, mental health situation ships sort of like romance uh, commentary, like did that just come naturally or like you knew that sort of you wanted to produce art that sort of had this like social commentary effect? Well, so 
the first, like, really what, what got me going and what got, what, like, made me going was another breakup, as any art comes. Um, and I think what was the most interesting is that I learned that the most successful cartoons I was drawing or putting out there, the ones that got the most comments, the most likes, the most shares, were about relationships and dating. And it was like, everyone has felt heartbreak. Everyone has had a crush. Everyone has, you know, felt that sparkle. And everyone, I think love, like truly fuels the world and motivation and what we're all doing. And more than the work cartoons or the hangover cartoons or anything like that. It was like, this is what people are really responding to. And, you know, I love love. And like, I think whenever I go into something like I'm full on, like, and it's, it shows through my cartoons. And I like to say like, I'm anxiously optimistic because, and I think that like people responded to them because like they have that hope too and they have that want that like desire to feel that like sparkly tingly spring new crush feeling yeah i love that i love that line anxiously optimistic you know uh like optimism is a big part of of sort of how we approach mental health here you know i think like i was saying about how when we were growing up you know mental health was just this like dark negative place of like when you would think of it you know I feel like uh because it's been so stigmatized you know like we choose to sort of approach it on on the bright side and like from this optimistic lens of like you know just as much as sadness and depression and anxiety are mental health so are happiness joy laughter love like excitement all these things are just as equally mental health you know and like a lot of people don't realize that was there sort of like a first illustration for you that like sort of blew up or like made you quit your day job or like when did like this start to become a career um a friend of mine worked at cosmopolitan and she was like would you mind if i did a story on you and i was like sure oh my gosh okay and i remember specifically because i was so excited because it was still close enough to that breakup that he was you know he would be able to see it and be sad and jealous you know (laughs) Yep. As all men are, right? After they. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the article posted, and this I feel like doesn't really happen anymore. And I'm curious if you think, but I got like 20,000 followers or something in a day. It was. Wow. It was insane. I remember I was. When was this? How this long ago? was probably five years ago. And I remember I threw my phone because I was so, like, scared that if I touched a button, that, like, it would delete all the followers. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was terrified. Um, yeah. And for a while, like, I also didn't show my face. I was just drawing cartoons. Now I feel like I've, like, become more a part of it. But, yeah, that was, like, the first moment. And I remember I was still kind of living this weird anonymous, like, Lizzie McGuire life where I like had a day job, but then I did this weird cartoon thing and I would like, kind of like, it was like my secret. Yeah. Was there a moment where you were able to like, you know, make the choice for yourself to fully convert over or like, was it like figuring out how to like monetize the page or, or being just comfortable in your own skin to 
put yourself out there? Like, what was what was that process like to sort of uh, be more congruent with uh, with those two lives that you were leading at the time? I think it was a mix. I'm still like not a hundred percent comfortable with putting my face out there. Like I've been told, like when you talk, you show half your face, which I find so interesting. And then I look back and I'm like, holy shit. Every video I do is like only half my face, which is like weird when you, you don't even realize you're doing it. I think also it was this idea that, oh no, this isn't my job. Like I have like, you know, I have a nine to five and like, this is just something funny and silly I do. But then when I started getting like real offers to do things and I had to do them in person, whether it's painting or, you know, coming to a, uh, you know, a studio visit or something, I was like, okay, like, when do I, I have to make this shift if I want this, if I want this badly enough. And I kind of just pushed myself to do it. How long has it been uh, since then? Full time? I think I quit, or I think I quit working another job right before the pandemic, which was great timing for an artist to start <laughs> on their own. Um, but like, yeah, imagine telling your parents, you know, your Midwestern parents, hey, I'm going to quit my like job with this dream company to draw cartoons. Yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah on Instagram. <laughs> My father loved that. Once it sort of became like legitimate, you know, I think there's always such an interesting relationship with like creativity and business. And like when like an art project sort of becomes a business, I even think about like my own experience here, you know, obviously it loses some of the spontaneity and and excitement and no pressure or stakes or expectations. Like how was that learning curve for you of like, did it, did any of the joy sort of, fall off once it sort of became your livelihood did you find yourself more sort of passionate and invested in it did you have to like you know put together a like a business plan hey like I'm actually going to sit down and draw during these times or before it would just be whenever I felt like it how has like the your relationship to the art changed uh since this has sort of become your livelihood I think I definitely have to be disciplined with myself I I think it made me more passionate but also more attentive and nervous about the art whereas it was just fun for me before now it was my livelihood and I have to remind myself though too it's like I started to worry oh this didn't get enough likes or this didn't you know perform well or oh gosh you know are people gonna think this is funny and it's that balancing that line of you know, still enjoying it and being true to your art, not trying to, I know that sounds so lame, but true to your art, but like, you know, not just doing what people want or what you think people want. Because ultimately, I think it's, that is so obvious when you do that. Like it, it's, you can, you can tell. And when things are genuine, it, that's when like they're successful and real. And there are also things that's like that sometimes I put things out there and I'm like, I don't care. I think this is funny if no one else thinks it's funny. But I have like, I went through like, I think everyone who goes freelance probably goes through like a little party girl phase. I was like, woo, I don't have any hours. I can go out on a Tuesday. <laughs> um, 
And then you kind of learn that boundaries and scheduling, especially for me, who have sleep problems and mental health, it's like you do have to be more disciplined with yourself because otherwise you're not going to get the results. I love just like how, you know, sort of vulnerable and, and honest and just like, you know, no bullshit a lot of your artwork is. Like I'm, I'm curious about your sort of creative process or, or like, you know, do you keep a sort of notepad and you're like jotting down things that you hear on the city? Or is it, do you take submissions or like how do, you, how do you come up with all this stuff all the time? It's, I definitely have a notepad. I have like a running list in my phone. And if you look at it, it's so funny because it's like birthday dinner, Bobby from Chicago, break up next Tuesday, all <laughs> vodka. Like it's like so. Yeah, like it, it doesn't make any sense. It's yeah. so random, but it's kind of funny. Like it's like its own art installation itself. Um, but I'll just, I'll be out with friends and I'll be like, that's funny. Do you mind if I do a cartoon about that while this girl is like mm. crying about some guy that ruined her life. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, took the dog and I'm like, that's a good concept. Like used, it started out as just me. Right. But now it's like the world around me. It's my friends. It's my frenemies. It's my ex. It's my future ex. It's. And, <laughs> and I think too, what's interesting is I, haven't I think the timing has changed too meaning I used to like you know run home from a date and post exactly what was on my mind and you know it would be very obvious that I was just on a date um now if I go through something I'm a bit more weary and usually like if it's something really if it's something like hilarious like you know I got stood up or something like then it's like you know I can self-deprecate but if it's like something about something really serious I if it's a deep concept and I feel like really I need to share like the concept of the core I'll wait like two three months to post it because I've learned the hard way I've hurt others um, even if it's just one person you know, even though I, I think no one wants, you know, thousands of people laughing, even if they don't know who it is, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I think, you know, it, you obviously have the ability to empathize, especially with your own experience that you shared about of, you know, it's like it, it, it can be hurtful, even if people don't know exactly who it is to just know that something might be about you or your likeness or, you know read comments and stuff it's uh yeah can be a dark place I try not to weaponize it but it's interesting because sometimes I subconsciously do things that I don't even that I'm not even aware of that just comes out and I think we all do that in our art right it's like you might design a shirt that has like some the you know icon on it that relates back to something from your past or like some nostalgia and you're like oh my gosh I didn't even realize that and I'm drawing, like, I, whenever I draw a dude in one of my cartoons, it's all di- always different. Maybe he has a hat, maybe he has long hair, maybe he has, a, you know, spiky hair. You know, I'm sometimes drawn to their likenesses and not even realizing it. And then, yeah, like, it's subconscious, oh my God, yeah. of course he thinks that's about him. 
I know that uh, you said like some of your best, uh, most engaging stuff, like it's about relationships or situationships or whatever. And and obviously, it seems like you have your fair share of experience in that field as well. I'm curious, like what what you've learned about just like relationships in general, or like you know what what sort of relationship content do people really seem to relate to, or like almost any like tips or or, or just like a state of the you know relationship union that you've gathered uh, sort of from like all your art and like, you know, how, how it's sort of going in that way. I think that people definitely relate to kind of, and I think it's, it's this Instagram TikTok movement of like, kind of like relating back to the old, like you go girl, like don't let him, like don't let him get you down. Like here, here are these five things to make you like, here's this confidence booster. Here's this like, don't ever let him, like I did one the other day about like breadcrumbing, if you know what the term is. No, what, what does that mean? So breadcrumbing is for when someone in a, in a romantic relationship gives you kind of just enough to keep going. Like they're not, they're not giving you what you deserve or what you need, but it's like, they're not necessarily texting you back that day. But they'll text you back like a day later and they'll say something kind of, you know, rant, like not really com- non-committal, but it still keeps you on the line where you think they are interested. Yeah, it's like leading on, like sort of like stringing along, like not, I'm not depriving you enough to like want to end it, but also not giving you enough to like take it to the next step type thing. Exactly. And it's kind of, I, I posted this thing where I, did this guy kind of leaving like a Hansel and Gretel crumbs animation <laughs> and this girl like going after and scooping them up and like, but it, and it's, I can like make fun of myself because I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, what a loser I was for accepting that. Um, and if you kind of share, like I've done this too. And I think, you know, I wrote a caption that was like, we don't want the crumbs. Like we all, we want the full, we want the full bread. We want the full loaf. And like, people were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because we've all been there, right? We've all like nibbled on the crumbs. And, but we all can realize that we deserve the full loaf of bread. So I think what's cool is like, kind of when you get this whole like crowd mentality of like, yeah, like, and then you're seeing everyone else who's also been the dummy. Like it kind of just makes you feel better. And like also like this team mentality of like we're gonna do better next time because now we've all boosted each other up to realize this shit. Yeah, I think like you know that's one of the most beautiful parts of mental health that like I've experienced in recovery is like like I was saying earlier like the hardest part is being vulnerable and sharing for the first time, right? And then once you do that, you're like so shocked at like how many other people out there really relate to you and and have gone through something similar and then you get that sort of like support and empowerment and like pat on the back and like empathy and then that's where it's like holy shit now you really start to build the community and like then you can see the ripple effect of like inspiring more and more people to be vulnerable and express themselves in that way and you know i think that's exactly what's going on with like what you just described on like that post is like you know, someone might not want to say that they've been breadcrumb, but then they see you post about it and so-and-so also comment. And then it's like, yeah, you know what? Like that happened to me too. And I, I feel less ashamed of it because I'm seeing these other people speak out about it. And, and you know, it's that sort of community uh, 
that you're building that I think that's so like uh, inspiring and and so like provoking about uh, about your art. I mean, it's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I like. I think. Yeah, of course. I think it's important to make fun of yourself a little bit. <laughs> totally. I guess when you think about sort of like uh, goals or the future, like where do you want to take this? Like, like what sort of things do you hope to create and like grow into? Like what, what sort of comes to your mind there? It's funny because I think I'm, I wonder the same thing. I'm like, is she, when I like refer to her as she, cause she's like a person to me. It's like kind of like a little yeah. fire. Yeah. Like, is she going to like move on? Is she going to find love? Is she going to grow up or is she kind of trapped in this, New York single girl life forever. Like, is she a cartoon character that never changes kind of like the Simpsons? Um, Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, what will happen? Um, My life changes as well. And it's been an enigma. It's been like, you know, so far it's been kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, Yeah. Well, I feel like she'll, uh, (laughs) she'll go as you go, I guess. Yeah. But I think one thing really from this that I've learned that I want for myself is to become, I know you would, you would, people always say like, well, you are, I would say like, Oh, I want to be a real artist. People be like, Okay. Well, you, you are an artist. I'm like, well, I think I'd like, you know, a dream of mine is to like have a show to do more murals, to do more. It's like, I think I can do these things, but people don't necessarily know I can do these things. Um, like I just came from a, a gig where I was painting on handbags um and it's like so much fun and that's I love doing that kind of stuff um I love doing the Instagram and the and the digital world but I also love doing tangible real things and I think I think it's also my insecurities because maybe it's just myself telling me this not necessarily everyone else but I'm oh I'm not a real artist. Like I need to get to like, you know, like a, I'm kind of trying to transition from like the pop art to be like, like a Lichtenstein or a Warhol, like from being that art that no one took seriously to all of a sudden being taken seriously. And maybe one day I will. Yeah. Well, you're, you're definitely a real artist in my book <laughs> and, and, and in everyone's book here, Matt Happy, I'll tell you that. What is your sort of uh, mental health care look like now or, do you have like routines that you stick to every day or, or are you still in therapy or, or just a question I always like to ask people, especially because, you know, everyone is sort of trying to figure out their own uh, mental health care and, and what works for them. I definitely have learned that I am a creature of routine and that's where there's certain things like my mornings that I take very seriously. I'm like a total morning person. People probably like hate to, like I'm like, I'm one of those people that pops up and it's like my favorite part of my day. I had like a peanut butter and jelly every morning, like I'm five years old and coffee and I sit and I draw and I watch the Today Show, like a housewife. And I, and it's the, like, it's where I'm the most clear. It's where I feel like I produce the best work. I have always, I feel like I produce the best work from like seven to 10 a.m. or seven to 11 a.m. And then again at like, from 7 to, like, 10 p.m. And in between, I'm just, like, like, I don't know. I I think those are also the hours where, like, emails haven't started rolling in. You're kind of, like, 
the texts, like, your friends are kind of leaving you alone. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, like, mornings are where I flourish, and I've found that routine is, like, really something that I look forward to, and, like, I need to kind of craft me. Yeah. Um, no, I love that. Um, well, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation, and definitely a huge fan of your work. Uh, definitely encourage everyone to go check out uh, your IG page, but, like, maybe, and I think uh, just all your art is, is like I said, so vulnerable and I think like brutally honest in a way that like the world really needs about a lot of situations of, you know, being an adult, figuring it out, dating, working, friendships, all these different things. Um, and just really appreciate you being a mental health ally and, uh, and taking some time with us today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm always down to uh, live, laugh, relate. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Thanks, Ariana. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening to the episode with Ariana. I hope you really, really enjoyed it and that your weeks are wrapping up nicely. Last episode of April, uh, so next month, May, Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, definitely one of the biggest moments on the calendar for us at Mad Happy, at Local Optimist. Uh, We just had some billboards uh, that are going up in the next week uh, to sort of create conversation around mental health and, and promote the month for us and a little bit about what we're doing. So be sure to check those out wherever you are. And yeah, I think it's always just such an amazing time and moment uh, to really see how far this movement and this conversation has come uh, since we started this uh, over six years ago. You know, I think every May it just gets louder and louder and louder and you see more companies stepping up and you see more philanthropic efforts um, and just more commitment and awareness overall. So I think that's really, really amazing Um, and definitely stay with us uh, throughout the month as we got a lot of cool stuff planned. So uh, thanks again, as always, for listening. If you're still with me at this moment, have a great weekend and I'll talk to you guys next week. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.